Yes, I hear uttered by the verdant hills, and I follow that echoing word wilder. Correct, affirms a bird soaring past. In unison, a flower, a river, a bee, all sing, definitely. And confused by the melody, I stare at a tree, whose bark is ridged with fingerprints. My palms are warm with solar excess, and I say, yes. Beautiful. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Solar Scene. This is the third episode in our nature series, and we're very happy to have you joining us for this conversation. I'm glad you called my poem beautiful. I thought so too, not to brag too much, but it also made me think when I came up with this term solar excess, like the warmth of the sun. Mm. Um, why was there never a sequel to the Polar Express called the Solar Express where they go like, to a really hot place? But that's a good idea, right? I like that idea. As you know, ideas for sequels to, you know, cult favorite animated movies just kind of fall off me. So. Mm. Whoever's watching from DreamWorks, who knows Tom Hanks? You can have that idea for free. Yeah. <laughs> so this week we're going to be talking about rules for nature, what the Bible says about stewardship, and we're also going to be talking about media and climate change. Yeah. So three pretty big topics, dare I say. That's true. Also kind of topical topics with mm. the COP27 currently going on, the big environmental meeting of the minds mm -hmm. and obviously we all pretty much get that second or third hand as told to us by twitter or bbc or whatever news things people read i don't mm -hmm. really read it but anyway it's topical for the media but we're going to start off by talking about our little classroom wall rules like what would happen at the start of a school year in elementary school where people would say um at least this always happened in my school the teacher would like try and crowdfund the the rules that they could all abide so it didn't seem too like authoritarian i guess mm -hmm. and the kids would always say no kicking no biting things like that and then the teacher would write them on one of those giant pieces of paper you know the ones mm -hmm. we don't have one of those but just imagine it and put it on the front wall of the classroom for the whole year and everyone could abide by it and if they didn't the teacher would say well you came up with these rules so blah 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 mm -hmm. and i always remember one teacher because we just kept going through different violent terms. We were like, no kicking, no biting, no punching, no slapping, things like that. And she said, how about we try and make them more positive rather than things you can't do, things you should should do. So that's kind of what I did for this. Mm. And I have five rules if you want to hear them. I'd love to hear them. Okay, so the first one is use human ingenuity. Okay. Um, these are rules for, I think, dealing with nature in general, but also rules for like, talking about nature because they're rules mm. for our podcast semester which is obviously all about talking about nature so what do you think about use human ingenuity i think it means don't underestimate what humans have to offer yeah perhaps humans can help nature recover faster or they can find really good ways for us to walk through the woods and get a lot of positive mental health benefits or health benefits so not not cutting humans short yeah, we have really big brains. And especially together, I was thinking about it like that one cartoon anime where like there's five different things and they form this big mech. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of. I don't know the name of it, but it's like that with humans. We can all come together and form one big mega brain that um, typically is, is, is quite strong and quite innovative. So I think looking for innovation where it seems impossible with regards to nature and sustainability and one kind of case study that I remember hearing about was I was watching this um, this TED Talk type summit speech on environmentally sustainable and local 
and common sense architecture. And they were talking about all these buildings that they were building in the, a town in Asia or I think it was somewhere in rural China. And they said, when we got to the hospital, everyone, like all the surrounding towns with hospitals, they were spending a lot of money and obviously energy on like fierce air conditioning and also um, lights. And they said, well, we're going to like basically cut both of these in half, if not more, by just using windows because a lot of the other hospitals didn't use a lot of windows. So things like that where like, I know that there are really cutting edge and I think really exciting techniques with regards to um, lead certification, as it's called in Canada. I'm not sure if that's a global thing, like building really sustainable buildings that use rainwater in smart ways and you know heat pumps and like crazy stuff like that. But I say it's crazy. Like Those are both old things also. <laughs> but like cool materials, but also there's like common sense things that have been done for centuries, if not millennia, that have just fallen by the wayside. Yeah, like the direction you build your house, where you put the windows. Pretty simple things when you think about it. But we sometimes rely too much on really shiny technology. Yeah, but the thing is that those things so quickly become the norm that something like windows, it, it's almost like a, a silly suggestion. Mm -hmm. You have a rule to share? Yeah, so mine are three rules. The first one is tread mindfully. Hmm. So it means when you're in nature, go in with a purpose. Don't just be like, well, I'm going to go for a romp through the woods just to take a picture and then leave. <laughs> so you should go with an intention. And while you're there, be aware of what you're stepping on. Yeah. Try and stick to the paths if there's paths. But if there aren't, then be like aware of. Am I stepping on an anthill? Mm -hmm. Maybe I should avoid that. What's that rule they say in national parks? It's like... Leave no trace. Yeah, leave no trace. That's what my three rules were inspired by. Okay. So this one is pretty much, yeah, leave no trace. Have you ever left a trace? I don't think so. Mm. I've always been very aware of leaving anything in nature because I always think about like little creatures coming and finding a granola bar wrapper and like yeah. worshipping it or something. Or as I saw today, this morning. Mini weeds. Yeah, uh, it's been a mystery that I've been uh, gradually decoding over the last few weeks. Um, the stump, for all the listeners, they know my stump. Not really. It's a little tree stump where I often sit and go and contemplate and write and things like that. And the squirrels who form basically my social circle, mm. um, who hang around me, they always are eating mini wheats. And I'm always like, where do these come from? Mini wheats, the, the small sugary cereal uh, squares. But today I found their reservoir which was just a huge pile of mini wheats and some bread in there as well, dumped behind a tree. So if anyone knows who's doing this, <laughs> because I think it's, a, I don't think it's that bad a thing, but. Yeah, or are they collecting them from garbage? It's just their favorite cereal. Oh, you mean the squirrels themselves put them there? Yeah. For the winter. You never know. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. But I think with Tread Mindfully, it's the leave no trace thing. But also I like the idea of, oh, there's a really beautiful flower. I'm going to pick it. I don't think we shouldn't be allowed to pick leaves or flowers or like, oh, collect a little sample of dirt for whatever you're going to use that dirt for. Throw rocks at animals? No. Okay. Throw rocks into a stream, perhaps. Sure. But like, do so mindfully. Is this violent? Is this like, why do I want to take this? Yeah. If everyone did this, would it be okay? True. Use that kind of universal principle. That's my first rule. Okay. Next one, I guess, is, is similar is have a plan. Mm. which means we have responsibility because of our power and our brains, mega brains, Spider-Man quote from a couple of weeks ago. And it means like 
if we need to form infrastructure for humans, which we do, we should have the ability at this point, I can understand maybe 800 years ago they didn't really understand impacts, but now we understand a lot more mm. and we're quite good at math and projections and understanding ecosystems and how these things relate. We're not perfect, like there's still a lot to learn, so if we make mistakes involving things, that's fine, but um, we should pretty much always have a plan with regards to future generations. Yeah, so sustainability is all about. You definitely have to consider... The long-term effects. Yes, because it might seem really benign what you're doing. It's like, well, I'm just walking this trail through the woods. Yeah. But if for 200 years the same people walk that trail, the soil is going to be compacted and well, things won't grow as easily. Yeah, but if it's like, I'm going to form a new trail through the woods, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like that rule. My next rule is tread often. Oh, yours are all treads. Yeah. I like that. It was a little, I pictured it in one of those, you get a scholastic book fair. Mm-hmm. It's, on a, it's on a bookmark. Yeah, exactly. So it's tread mindfully, then tread often. So what I was saying with mindfully is don't just go into the woods for like the heck of it, but also in the Solocene, I imagine people will partake in nature for a number of reasons. It'll be, I'm going to go forge some mushrooms for dinner. I'm going to go on a little retreat with my friends. We're going to camp out in the woods for a few days. You're going to go kill some bees. Not that one. No. Okay. Don't, they're not going to be killing any animals. Right. Perhaps harvesting some foods from nature. Okay. But try it often. Go into the woods and go into nature because it doesn't have to be going into the deep, dark forest. It could be going through a stroll through a neighborhood park. But go every day. We're mm-hmm. meant to be in nature every day. Get our vitamin D. That's what you think the benefit is, vitamin D? I think there's a lot of benefits. What else? Mental health benefits of... The oxytocin, I believe, that is released when you're in nature, like the happiness chemicals are just like much more excited, prone to be released when you're in nature versus indoors. Yes. There's also the connection to place, which benefits the surroundings. It benefits nature, but it benefits you to know where your food's coming from or to know what impacts perhaps are happening from climate change or recovery from yeah. climate change. I think also the case. walking through nature gives you the or just standing in nature it gives you the like indelible image of what nature looks like um it sounds maybe kind of redundant or silly to say it because we have been in nature quite a lot a lot more than a lot of people who just grew up in cities like there are some people who've probably never been near a forest or a mountain or the ocean so it's like if all you see is gray with some green then when you go to a golf course you're like wow love being outside Mm -hmm. but golf courses are like Completely quite unnatural range. right yeah. they're just like green green concrete kind of pretty much um so that was kind of in in my next rule which i didn't want to go too much into because you already covered it which was be serious it's like golf courses in the middle of a desert or something yeah be serious that's not yeah. serious that's like a, a kid playing with toys or something mm-hmm. i like that idea I get a little frustrated around Montreal. There's a lot of tropical plants that are planted along walkways and things. Okay. And it's like, I get that they're pretty, but they always look kind of creepy for one. Because (laughs) it's like, we don't have trees with these huge broad leaves or these really vibrant colors. Like, it's just not in this ecosystem. So I always think it looks creepy for one. Slightly frivolous. Yeah. But because obviously it would take a lot of effort to even get them here to tend to them they might take different nutrients or different amounts of water and 
I just think, but it's like, this is the type of ecosystem. Lean into it when you're decorating or making urban forests and things. Well said. Um, After be serious, I put be smiley. Okay. And this means to find joy in nature because I think that joy is very sustainable. And this means like finding humor, like, um, like the organism of the week that I'm going to talk about later. Okay. Spoilers. Um, but also just recreation, you know, like having fun. I think generally all of our fun is like indoors. And when we're outdoors these days, it's I'm getting somewhere or I'm mm. out because I have to be. But I think like there's, there's so many things that we do just um, by default these days inside that could be done outside. Yeah. Like eating. I actually had a dream about that last night. I had a really vivid dream that all I was like walking to work or something and it was dark and I saw all these like dining room tables in people's front yards on the street in the backyards and I was super confused but then slowly everyone started to come out of their house and they were also happy and bringing out their meals onto the street. Yeah. This is the type of dream I have by the way. Well it's because <laughs> maybe because we live in Montreal which for those who don't know is famous for its it's called the terrace culture. Yeah. People eating outside for Five months of the year, at least, mm-hmm. when, whenever, whenever it's possible. Yeah. Um, the other note I had underneath this was frolic from a young age. Do you ever frolic? I don't frolic too frequently, but sometimes right. I do. Yeah, I frolic indoors sometimes, mm. but that always breaks things. And um, also with regards to like recreation slash relaxation, moving more of that outdoors, I said that the only things we do outdoors now, or like the association a lot of people have, is travel and funerals. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else you'd do. Why would you go outside? <laughs> yeah. In the cold. Let me add that. Be smiley even when it's cold. Because mm. that's also much harder. topical. Yeah. Yeah. My final one is tread knowledgeably. That one's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, the, I don't like that one. So but <laughs> it was <laughs> value your time spent learning about nature. And What about tread wisely? Tread wisely. Because that's already a saying, right? Yeah. We can go with that. Yeah. Thank you. It's workshopping. Mm -hmm. So tread wisely. Know about the things you're seeing. Know about the impacts that it can have on you and that you can have on it. And learn from nature. I'll be talking about that a bit more later. But learn from nature. But also you have to bring some things to the table. Ooh, teach nature. Teach nature. Maybe not exactly that, but like (laughs) nature won't reveal to you exactly how it works unless you're a biologist or someone who's really into using the scientific method to like extract knowledge. Yeah. But people have already done the work. So you can learn and then say, oh, there's this bee. He looks very sleepy. I can give him some sugar water to help him <laughs> be revived. Because he's not going to tell you that. You're just going to think he's sleepy or he's dying. Yeah. But maybe they just need a little bit of a boost and you can help them. Correct. I like that tread wisely. My last one is obviously, what would Jesus do? Mm. For those who... Well, I guess if you're listening, you know the title of this episode probably will invoke uh, <laughs> Jesus' name. So what do you think Jesus would do? I think he would always be outside. <laughs> From what I know about his life, yeah, he tended to teach outdoors. Right. Why do you think that fields, is? In fields, on mountains, on the beach. Yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think it had something to do with a bit of foresight as to the future condition. Mm. And we're supposed to live as Jesus lived. A lot of the parables use nature metaphors, mm-hmm. right? Sowing the seed. Mountains. Floods. Mm. 
Yeah, flowers. Yeah. I was just thinking, because our next question is all about biblical interpretations of environmentalism, I suppose. And this is not a Christian podcast, but it's been my experience that most people are like Jesus. He's cool. He's a good inspiration. He's a good role model, even if they're not, you know, mm-hmm. faithful practicing Christians. So that's why this is my rule. Um, so I think even disregarding like any particular quotes that he, you know, is attributed to have said about nature or the environment, his traits, what are they? He's compassionate. Yep. He's righteous. That's true. He's, Patient, I think. Yes. Uh, forgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean... Very disciplined. Mm-hmm. Merciful. Sounding like a psalm now at this point. <laughs> maybe it is. Perhaps. So a psalm. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's a good one. But so that was my... Yeah, that's my thing. I like it. Yeah. Because we often think about... Christianity as a very violent, like taking <laughs> do, do religion. We? I feel like it's kind of gained a reputation as the people yeah. who are not environmentalists. In the, yes, that's true. In the in the modern political space, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, but I think if you look at the life of Jesus, it's very inspiring to be kind to nature, to be kind to the little lamb, kind to the children, so on. And I feel like it all goes with being kind Calling to nature. Children, wild animals. Yeah. My parents used to have a sign that said, um, never mind the dog, beware the kids. Because you know, people always have a sign that says, beware the, beware the dog. Mm. You know? Yeah, that's, I know. That's like grade A parent humor. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I had this quote which perhaps would have fit better in last week's episode about humans as being part of or apart from nature. But I think that in today's biblical episode, that's what it is, uh, it also fits which is only in the last moment in history has a delusion arisen, arisen that people can flourish apart from the rest of the living world. Mm. And it's true because we don't, well, I don't even think we talked about it last last week was how recent that shift has been. Yeah, like 80, 100 years. Yeah. It's within a lifetime mm-hmm. that we've shifted a from. A long lifetime, but yeah. A long lifetime, yeah. But like a generation or so of, yeah, we went from, oh, there might be a famine. There used to be famines that lasted up to 10 years quite frequently. Yeah. But obviously, the idea of a worldwide or even continental famine is unheard of because of the way to we've us. modified things. To us in, yeah. in North America, obviously. Mm-hmm. When we say we, we're talking about yeah. these us. privileged people. Of course. <laughs> yeah, but imagine the idea of a famine. Like, oh, we're not going to get rain, so we probably aren't going to eat very much we have to ration our food like that's not a thing for us which is very fortunate but it has definitely removed us from being aware of the weather cycles of the crop cycles and so on so bible i think that's your like wheelhouse so i'll let you (laughs) go away on that one where do i start (laughs) (laughs) start with the green bible the green bible so i took a course a few courses in university about science and religion. And the teacher one day passed around the green Bible, which is like this. And it's printed on soy paper with soy (laughs) wax and everything. So it's like super sustainable. And there's a type of Bible that you can buy. It's called the red text Bible, where everything that Jesus says, or perhaps is said about Jesus or like prophetically attributed to him is in red. But in this one, Every passage about nature is in green. 
So for those watching on YouTube, I don't know if you can see it because it's a very faint green, but we can maybe pull like a snippet in. Yeah. So it's all green wherever it's talking about nature. And I just think that's really great because, as I was saying, politically, especially in the States, Christians, evangelical Christians tend to be on the right wing where people don't believe in climate change. And I never see, because I read a lot of articles about spirituality and the environmental movement because I think they're not unconnected because a lot of people the most spiritual experience they have is a camping trip yeah exactly. it's like a lot of even traditional religions the spiritual experience comes from a oneness with nature like a feeling of unity with all that is alive and I think it's important and part of the reason we're so detached from nature is yes we're detached from the cycles of the world and nature but we're also detached from the spiritual realm which i think contributes so like it's something i am very interested in where was i going with that can you just flip to a random page and read some and then we can discuss it like a completely random one sure i'm curious okay, this is from song of solomon three <laughs> wait song of solomon four verse 16 awake O north wind and come O south wind Blow upon my garden that his fragrance may be wafted abroad. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Choicest. I like that so word. So it's in word of the week. Yeah. Lovely. So that's a that's even something I wasn't talking about. There's so much metaphor used in the yeah. Bible for how beautiful it is to be alive, how beautiful it is to be Christian or if to you, be whatever it's all yeah if you just look at any of the psalms probably all, almost all the imagery will be natural mm-hmm. and I think it's because it's the closest that's and you know not just in the bible but in a lot of different religions the way of kind of um, conceptualizing the divine or the the unconceptualizable mm-hmm. is uh, is by using the splendor of nature you'll never mm-hmm. hear like oh he shines like the brightest led yeah. or something like that because it's that's there's a there's a kind of inherent um acknowledgement that humans uh creations as mm-hmm. it were it doesn't measure up remotely in terms of amazingness yeah because <laughs> it's like the most complex system we have will never compare to the complexity of the biosphere and i think what i was getting at with this question that we posed last week was is are humans a part of or apart from nature it's kind of a continuation of that and looking at the Bible for like guidance. Guidance. Yeah. And I think what it says, its baseline is that yes, they're apart from nature, but it doesn't mean they're evil or mm. they're meant to have domination over the natural world. And I think there's two things that I don't hear talked about very often in these articles is that like, why do we have we gotten to a point where we think we do have like unlimited resources from nature. And two things from the Bible that I looked at and consider are that the flood with Noah and the ark, at the end, there's a promise made that God will never flood the earth again. Like there'll never be a climate disaster that wipes it all of humanity. And so I think a lot of people take that and they say, oh, we don't have to worry about any actual disaster because there's literally a promise in the Bible saying that this won't happen. But I take that to mean God won't cause a flood 
doesn't mean humans can't cause a flood that yeah. devastating or a disaster that devastating. Similarly, I think there's there's often such an emphasis on the afterlife. Mm-hmm. As there was this quote, but I'm going to paraphrase it. It was something like, don't be so heavenly minded that you disregard the earth or something like mm-hmm. that. And because at the end of the Bible, a lot of people interpret it as apocalyptic, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the earth, the seas turn to blood and there's heat waves and earthquakes and that kind of thing. So I think there is maybe in some people a sense of, well, I'm going somewhere cool. Mm-hmm. You know, the earth will take care of itself or there's nothing I can do, kind of like that. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's so many reasons that we should there's, care for the yeah, earth. Yeah, I mean, there's also <laughs> the practical sense that the Bible was written like thousands of years ago yeah. and they didn't have nuclear, you know, abilities or mm-hmm. such a mass scale of pollution even even possible or, or probably imaginable. Mm-hmm. It's true. A lot of mentions of pollution in the Bible, there are quite a few, but it's always about like polluting the land with your enemy's blood. It's like, don't <laughs> kill people. Stop killing people. Yeah. But this is one, where is it? It's in Deuteronomy and it says, basically, when you're fighting your enemies in a battle, don't cut down the trees because the trees did nothing wrong. They're not people. Leave the trees. Oh, that's pretty good. And I'm like, that's really funny to me because it's like, they're so obsessed. Obviously, a lot of the Bible is with like hand-to-hand combat, not about political combat or mm-hmm. environmental issues, but it can definitely be extrapolated or it's just clearly put, Yeah, don't cut down the trees. I don't think it is like there is that much. I know you've, you've done courses on it and like you probably have read a lot more about it than, than I, but I don't think there is that much explicit sustainability, environmental stewardship talk in the Bible. There's like a decent amount. By Jesus. By Jesus, there isn't a decent yeah. amount. But a lot of the Old Testament, there's just literal rules. It's like on the seventh year, don't yeah, plant a crop. Yeah, so the crops. Yeah. yeah, and there's a few other ones. Like, yeah, obviously, they don't cut down the trees. But I think where it all goes south or east, I don't... East? South or west? What's that? North. I'm just trying to come up with a... Okay, anyway. yeah, just trying to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> So it is in Genesis, which is the first chapter of the Bible, it says... That's where it all goes south. That's where it all goes south. <laughs> or you could take it as it's all going north. And it says, fill the earth and subdue it, which is like what everyone has over their door piece. It's like, God made man and woman in his image. And then he said, go and fill the earth and subdue it. And the dictionary definition in English of subdue is often dominate or like make work or it's really like violent words control but in the hebrew because these books weren't written in english they've been translated many many times to get to this word like we don't have a word that they had in hebrew to mean subdue but there is a dictionary definition of subdue which is just to like foster tend to Mm -hmm. control and it's like because if we didn't terraform like we're terraforming animals, we wouldn't be able to exist. If we didn't have crops and learn how to do that, yeah. we wouldn't be able to multiply. Well, yeah, we wouldn't have gotten to where we mm-hmm. to where society is now. Yeah. That like humans have existed as hunter gatherers for, for mm-hmm. many, many years. Yeah. But obviously even by the time of the Bible that was not the way. Mm-hmm. So it's like we know that we can there's a level of tending to nature and like being stewards that is good and just. But it doesn't mean we have to 
extract, extract, extract. I was also thinking about how there, there can often be seemingly a bit of friction between, well, why, you know, we only have 80 years or so on this earth. I'm here to help people. Mm -hmm. Why would I help a grasshopper first? Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a little bit of a fallacy because obviously environmental degradation and pollution hurts people quite a lot. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like if, um, if there was like a neighborhood on fire, everyone would be like, well, we have to put out the fire, mm -hmm. you know, by throwing water on it. But it's like, why don't we stop whatever caused the fire? It mm -hmm. doesn't happen. It's kind of like trying to be proactive like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what got it's, me it's into indirectly it. helping people, is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And we don't think about it that often. I'm going to talk about this in the media. Of like We think about, when we're talking about the climate crisis, we talk about the sea levels rising. We talk about species going extinct. And it's like, to me, and to like some people, that's really powerful. But if you just said, these species going extinct are going to mean millions of people are without food. Or yeah. there's literal countries that are going to be underwater so these people are going to be dislocated there'll be war there'll be famine and it's like when you talk about it in human terms it's obviously very anthropocentric but well i think it'd be like in emergencies we are yeah obviously like in emergencies you'd rather save a baby than a mm -hmm. baby grasshopper mm -hmm. this was the rationalization of young uh, noble ambitious teenage alicia right mm -hmm. wanted to be a doctor but then i thought Maybe this can help people even more. Yeah, that I think is, that's what you said. That's it. <laughs> so that was my train of thought. Yeah, saving individual lives or trying to create systems that can save future lives, but also save the well-being of future generations, and perhaps grapple with a little bit of well-being for the current generation that I'll get to see the benefits of. <laughs> Before we move on, the first question this week is also like the opener of our zine Ooh. so if anyone wants to buy our most recent nature zine it starts with some rules of how to yeah be in nature i don't want to give too many spoilers but it starts with rules and it's very fun very artsy it's been a labor of love <laughs> for sure the other two were labors of the mind right this one's a labor of creative a labor of the heart bleeding on every page yeah you see the red stains i literally yeah, you bled for this. I, I bled know. for this. I understand. We don't need to worry about it. <laughs> um, the zine, or you can buy our old zines. Yeah, They're also you, still available. You can buy them through the link in the description. We will mm -hmm. mail them to you. You can also, if you like the podcast, please subscribe, give a rating, a review, even if it's a negative one. Actually, if it's a negative one, don't. Yeah. Yeah, just keep that to yourself. But if it's a positive one, feel free. Mm -hmm. And speaking of freedom, feeling free. The organism of the week for this week. Maybe I've been hyping it up to you too much. You have been. Because I'm very happy about this one. Close your eyes. This is called <laughs> It's called the Rock Hyrex or Procavia capensis. They are small mammals, four to five kilograms. <laughs> they um inhabit native natively in Africa and the Middle East. And here's an image. Oh my. Yeah. Describe for the audience. It looks kind of like a muskrat. Okay. But the mouth situation, is it just baring its teeth? Yeah. And yeah, its tongue, yeah. of is, course? Yeah, this is an angry picture. So it's a very angry looking creature. I have a calm picture too. Oh. Yeah, very cute. So it does look like a muskrat. Just a furry little blob with yes. beady eyes. Yes. Happy beady eyes. Mm -hmm. Round ears. And it looks always mischievous. 
but also very serious. I don't know. It's really cute. <laughs> it reminds me of my dog. That's why I chose it for this week. Mm. Um, who's a beagle, but we always say she's part otter, part she seal, slickness. part yeah. pig. She's, she's very overweight. She has a a, ra- a run roundness, rondity, a roundness, similar mm. to these creatures. And they live in holes they make in the rocks. Mm. Um, they eat mostly plants, but some insects and grubs. They have a lot of predators, as you can imagine. Um, and I like this fact about them, the, the hyrax. It says, they make a loud grunting sound while chewing. Mm. And they also like to sing a lot. Oh. Other names for these are dassies, conies, and rock rabbits. So, obviously. Um, they spend about 95% of their time resting. It's very lazy creatures, much yeah. like my dog. And it says that they are often, during that time, basking in the sun in heaps, like dog piles. Mm. And I had another image of that. Um, okay. <laughs> This is a heap. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you went all out with like this, the yeah. PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, I, I printed them this time instead of drawing because I because didn't otherwise, think I could do them justice. No, they'd look too much like your dog. Here, I let you examine okay. that. So the heap, they all go obviously bum to bum. Well, this, one is, in the this is one picture. There's a lot of pictures that were like more like dog piles, but mm-hmm. I like this one because it seemed like they were just... Very symmetrical. Yeah, it was, it was almost a flower. Yeah, they're very cute. They are. Wow. I want one. Wait, how big are they? Um, it says four to five kilograms. Okay. Yeah. Rock rabbits, probably about rabbit size. Mm. A little bit bigger. They're cute. I want to see one in nature for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for sponsoring the video. <laughs> Rock rabbits. That angry one, though. <laughs> I really like that angry one. He has a little bit of bat to him. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't want to mess with him. Oh, but I think these are mentioned in the Bible. That's why I chose them. Oh, yeah. I'm like taking Because I, I was in, looking at sorry. animals or, yeah, organisms that are referenced in the Bible, and I'm pretty sure they talk about hyrax in hyrax. the Old Testament at some point. Cool. Because yeah, it was in the Middle East. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. So, how do we bring this into nature? Bible <laughs> creatures. Bi- biblical creatures. We had wrapped up the Bible, but it's definitely funny to me how often... God and Jesus are likened to animals in the Bible. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like these metaphors are important to preserve. And it's like, the Bible also says that God reveals his wisdom through nature. So I feel like there's just time and time again, reason after reason, to preserve nature for the sake of future generations understanding these metaphors. Because it's like, you could say, as crystal clear as an ocean, the kids are like, but the oceans are disgusting. Yeah. What does that mean? Like sure. you need to like vegetables preserve with, the metaphors with vegetables. Yeah, not genetically modified vegetables, just sure natural vegetables. Okay. <laughs> Final question of the day was about media, the responsibility of how the media should be talking about environmental issues. Mm-hmm. Quite a, a fraught topic. Yeah. Quite a difficult one to think about. And I think to preface a lot, part, a big part of the difficulty that I see, not just in this conversation, but in pretty much every conversation, political or otherwise today, is that we, as like a whole uh, collective, have vastly different definitions of media. Like that's just been skewed so that now it's kind of just a, a straw man that everyone can just say, well, the media, you know, they do mm-hmm. this, they did this, they elected this, they, you know, they're the problem. And, you know, everyone says that for different reasons. What do you think is media? To me, it would be news 
at Let's. So we're not media. I would say we're not media. I'd say Instagram accounts aren't even as far as Twitter accounts are unless they're a traditional media company. Okay. Just because I think there's just there is a line you have to draw it somewhere for yourself. Mm-hmm. And for me it's like anything like an influencer or us who aren't like paid to do media. Yeah. I think you could consider TV shows media even if they're not news because they are sponsored by media companies. Movies are media, but I feel like there's kind are of a movies line. media? I think to a point. Music? Music. Okay, I'm going to go back. Movies aren't. Okay. It's just news. Like newspapers, okay. news Twitter accounts. That's what I'm mainly talking about. In any case, I think in the solo scene that there are clearer delineations between these mm-hmm. things. Because I was mostly focusing on like social media. Because mm-hmm. people often will say like, oh, I don't trust the media, blah, blah, blah. Well, where do you get your sources from? Mm-hmm. Facebook, you know, it's like, well, that has media in the name. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, ironically, so many, if you actually turn on the 24-hour news, like Fox or CNN or whatever, they are so often just discussing tweets. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, that's just social media through another, like, it's they're just true. discussing what's trending. Yeah. The reason I don't count TikTok or Instagram in my media is because of how tunneled they get. I know that the other ones obviously are even more very specifically they have a political like they have a statement of this is our yeah. political inclination these are our sponsors and so on but at least they have the, the disclaimer or like you can if you have a bit of knowledge about discerning bias you can watch a news channel broadcast and discern the facts from it whereas when you get into these cycles on TikTok it's like you don't know what's true. You don't true. know these people's who's sponsoring them. That's the thing. Their background. I think like a lot of people would answer the question as in, well, social media is grassroots. That's bottom up. And traditional media, you know, the, the old school media is uh, top down. But I, I think like it's, it's much more muddled than people would mm-hmm. like to admit. Like this algorithm that you're in on YouTube or TikTok where the videos are all saying this one thing politically it's like you don't know who's who sponsored that or who is mm-hmm. boosting that or who's funding that or, yeah. you know, in whose best interest it is that you see that. So I think yeah. that it would be nice if Twitter was just, you know, people like you or I, mm-hmm. but it isn't really like that kind of narrative. Yeah. But in any case, I think in the solo scene, this is all cleared up. I don't want to talk about how on this mm-hmm. episode, but it's, it's a it's a clearer discussion there. For sure. Because it's also, you can get... Because things are produced so quickly on social media, it's like you could have one person say a lie and it'd be cycled to be like a thousand videos. Then you're like, yeah. oh, well, I've cross-referenced it. Mm-hmm. Like, I've exactly. seen a bunch of other people say it, so it must be true. You don't think to go to like some kind yeah. of deep dive on an academic yeah. research gate or whatever. It's slightly an off-topic example, but um, in football or soccer, there's been times when someone would just completely invent uh, a rumor on the internet. It's like, oh, Messi's going here or something. Mm-hmm. And then within a few days, like every genuinely reputable outlet will start reporting on that kind of thing mm-hmm. because it just, it snowballs like crazy. And I think that kind of thing happens all the time politically. Um, yeah, news, that's kind of, it's not, a, it's not a good time to be trying to find objective news, I don't think. But in the solar scene, it will be, and there'll be more independent news and, you know, all the random people on Twitter who are just misinforming are doing so at least in person, mm-hmm. I think, rather than, you know. 
Then you can see their mischievous grin. <laughs> it's true. Whereas you can't on Twitter. My first thought about the answer to this, like how should media be reporting on climate, is that ideally they should have a climate expert partnered with a psychologist Ooh. to figure out how frequently to report on things, which things are most pressing. Like the climate scientist would say, okay, we need people's attitudes to change in this way. Like they need to switch to LEDs. They can't be using fluorescence. Like that's a really silly example, yeah, it's but funny. it's just easy to conceptualize. They said, this is the change that we need the people to have, or we need them to vote this way. And then the psychologist would work with them to figure out how frequently the language to use and so on. And this feels really manipulative, which it is, but it's just like, that's what news is. Right now, the people reporting on it are just like, oh, there's this cool disaster that'll get a lot of views. Yes. But it might make people anxious. It might make them shut down or it might make them just be like, oh, they're overblowing this. They're dramatic, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it can inspire the completely wrong response. Well, I, I think like what you said, secondly, was completely true about the kind of um, almost gross um, clickbaity tactics, which mm-hmm. I think have very quickly infected what used to be like genuinely serious journalistic organizations now you'll see like cnn putting out youtube videos with like all caps it's Mm -hmm. like biden says this and it's like this is these are the tactics that you know um vloggers or buzzfeed articles used to use but that's kind of very quickly filtered to everything else and i think in the solar scene the way around us is that people are more discerning with media they are less they don't look to media for their entertainment. They don't mm-hmm. look to po- politics for their stories. Yeah. You know, for like entertain. Because now we see that it's like, oh, Biden said this. That sounds hilarious. But it's like, mm-hmm. we, that shouldn't be. We're so disconnected from it. It'll mm-hmm. be so much more local. I was thinking in the solo scene, there'll be a local news. So it'll be like, local guy collects 300 pop bottles <laughs> and saves the whale. Yeah. Well, that was that local um, news in Nova Scotia that we saw that one time that was the guy with all the raccoon friends. Yeah. Remember that? Do you remember the raccoon whisperer? Yeah, something like that. He would mm-hmm. always feed them. He knew them all by name. They were yeah. eating out of his hand. Anyway, so I think that uh, news being dry, like make it really boring again. Don't mm-hmm. try and hook people as if it were a novel. Yeah. Because it isn't a novel. Um, don't use those kind of tabloidy tactics. Um, you know, basically return, return to some of the trust and reputation and prestige that comes from just saying what is happening. So what you were saying about the psychologists and the climate scientists, like informing people, I think that might be better served in a separate mm. a separate outlet. So it's like you have your news, which is just reporting what happens in the most boring, you know, no adjectives, just these are the facts. This is mm. what happened. Even maybe have a robot saying it. So yeah. we don't like read the human uh, face or whatever. And then maybe you have like, the people hear that it's not prescriptive at all. It's just talking about climate. These are the new findings, blah, blah, blah. And someone hearing it might say, oh, that sounds serious. What can I do? Mm-hmm. And then maybe they go and search out on their own because I think when news is prescriptive, it does, people don't like being told what to do, basically. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, um, whether it's right or wrong or effective or not, I just think that people don't like it now because like, mm-hmm. oh, so you want me to stop eating meat when blah, blah, blah. Like people don't like that. So I think if, if someone hears it and wants to follow up, they should have an option to, have an option place to do to. so and a place to do so. Yeah. Yeah. I read a thing about how the best climate tools are often tools. Like they're not a story. It's 
the calculator to figure out how much money you would save if you yeah, switch to yeah, renewables. People like that. And it's like framing it as either a public health issue or a financial issue. And there's lots of time and room to frame it as different things. You don't have to say, well, it's going to be hotter. Because people won't resonate with that as much as everything's going to be 10 times as expensive or whatever. Yeah. But I just think that there should be news that doesn't frame at all. Mm -hmm. I like that idea. Because that's what I think most people are are grumpy about. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's grumpy about that. Um, I also think a problem is that what I just said, news basically tells people what happened. But climate, you know, inherently the issue is almost all forecasting. So that's an issue. I don't really know a way around that. I just (laughs) took that note. I think using good metaphors and analogies is useful. But, yeah, it's never going to be, well... Until it, until it is just happening. Until it's a really huge way issue. Late, yeah. yeah. So that, that I think is the, that's the biggest problem with it. Because mm. people don't really, a lot of people don't believe what they can't see yeah. immediately. And you can't have people coming on as like guests saying, I lost my home. Yeah. Because it's like, it's not happening as frequently or when it does. And they have these guests on saying, oh, my whole neighborhood was wiped out. It's like kind of sensationalized because we're so inundated with these disasters. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's just another, like they just become numbers. They're not people. Mm-hmm. So it's a balance of like keeping it. It's a f- ongoing issue. So like we can't just stop reporting about it, but yeah, not overblowing it mm-hmm. in our perception. My last point about this is it's kind of double-sided. One is transparency and two is a clear delineation of what the piece is and um, and who is involved in it. Because I think... Like, here's an example. People will say, oh, have you read what the New York Times published, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, invariably, it'll be an opinion piece. It's like, they mm. didn't publish this. Like, this person doesn't work for the New York Times. This yeah. is an op-ed. It's a completely different thing, but most people don't know the difference. So they're like, oh, I don't trust that site anymore or mm. whatever. Um, or another side of it, kind of different, is CNN will put out, like, a big movie or TV show documentary about Anderson Cooper, the journalist. And I'm like, why do we care about him? He's supposed to just be reading the news. Yeah. Like, why is he a character? Why is he a personality? Why is he a celebrity? So that I think is kind of gross as well. And that's a bit weird. that's another way that the news, um, the idea of the news or the media, as it were, has been perverted. And people don't like that. Like what I was saying, he's supposed to be the guy who just reads it mm-hmm. dryly. I mean, I don't even think we need one of those anymore. I think it would be better served if he was a robot. But he's supposed to be just the his um, character, his personality should should not be a factor. The space that Solacene occupies, meanwhile, we are not telling people the news, not objective. If they want to make a movie about us, I think it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. I like the idea also that the newscaster right now is like, oh, he's saying that. But it should be the team at CNN is saying that. Well, that's the problem. It's like, Tucker Carlson tonight. It's like, he's supposed to be a... A newscaster. Yeah. I think. But and also everyone, practically he's not the one writing any of it. Yeah, well that's true. Everyone just becomes a personality. Yeah. So it's kind of gross. Um but I think, yeah, uh, transparency about who we have on the show, what you know, whether they're a stakeholder, whether they're a scientist, whether they're a reporter, whatever. Like that's part of the problem is that they don't disclose things and then afterwards people discuss it on Twitter and they're like, Oh, but did you know that he used to work for Exxon or something? Like he mm-hmm. holds shares in this. And because they didn't tell people, then trust is immediately lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the solo scene will be a platform for information. 
facts. I think so. And I think there'll be other platforms for metaphor, for the short films, for the cartoons about climate change, the ideas. Prescriptions, yeah. Yeah, but that'll be, you know what you're getting into. I like that. I really like listening to news podcasts. I highly recommend to anyone. Because I went years and years without listening to the news because I was getting so overwhelmed. But then I started listening to podcasts and because there's no flashy anything, it's a little bit easier to digest. And you can hear biases. And I find The Economist is really central. And it's like, I'm not like a super central person. I'm clearly very green inclined. But I like central news because it's kind of... Makes you think. Makes you think. and lets you come up with rebuttals mm-hmm. and come up with new ideas. I like it. So, I recommend. So we'll see news. Is that ever going to be like a, a branch of our podcast? I don't know. I don't. Maybe. Maybe if you keep getting it, into it. Then who knows? Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening to this media outlet. Sure. We will see you next week with Nature Week 4.